Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. Well, I'm sitting here today with Tom Llewellyn. Tom is a Tacoma author. We're going to talk about his books and all that. But Tom, before we start talking about your books, because that's the primary focus today. The other thing, and I didn't know this, when I, when I reached out to you about being on, on, on the podcast was because of your latest book. I saw mm-hmm. the cover, caught my eye, sounded cool. I didn't know that you are part of Beautiful Angle. That's correct. So yeah. in 30 seconds, why did you guys start that? Oh, it's a, yeah. Um, you know, we, Beautiful Angle, just real quickly, is a street art project in Tacoma, and it's letterpress posters that we make about once a month, maybe 10 times a year, and hang up around town. And um, my partner in that, Lance Kagi, and I have been doing it for 21 years. And we've, uh, even before that, we'd uh, done a lot of creative projects together. We'd done some art together and we'd been in a band for seven years. And then, and then he got really into letterpress. He's a graphic designer and I'm a writer. So, um, and we both said, you know, geez, we should do posters together. We were big fans of street art. So we kind Mm -hmm. of wanted to start our own. And as simple as that, that's why, I mean, the, the other reason is there's no paying client involved. And when you take money out of the equation, you get to do whatever you want. So um, that's what we do. We just we just make posters about whatever we feel like making them about. And it's gathered a really strong fan base. And it's just been a joy to do. Yeah, I know when I was living in Tacoma, the last time I was living in Tacoma, I grew up there. But so that predates your whole beautiful angle thing. But when I was living in Tacoma as an adult, you know, the, there was always buzz on the street when a new when a new poster dropped. So that's that's kind of nice. cool. So I, I look forward to getting both of you back on to talk about that. Would okay. love to do that. Perfect. All right. So today, though, I'm going to kind of set the table a little bit, and then you're going to take over. So you you grew up in the Redondo Tacoma area, Federal Way, you know, area. You went to the University of Washington. So uh, I have to ask: Was it painful to watch? I, I don't know if you're a sports fan. I guess you are. You're wearing a Rainier's cap, but I mean, was it painful to watch? I mean, or is it too soon to, to, to jab oh, it? So painful, man. I'm telling you, it killed me. I mean, we had such a good season and then the, the game just fell apart in the national championship um, against Michigan, who's been a long time, you know, decades long rival of mine, which I remember. I mean, I go back all the way to the, I think I was 12 years old or something when we beat them with Warren Moon as our quarterback in the Don James era. And then and then to lose that game and then to have our new exciting head coach, Kalen DeBoer, just just, you know, abandon us like the next day, um, you know, for Alabama was just oh, it was just this one two punch that just killed so many Husky fans, myself included. So I went to Central so I can root for the Huskies whenever I win. I can be a bandwagon. Mm-hmm. You know, I can jump yeah. on the Cougar bandwagon. I can jump on the Husky bandwagon. I got autographed Husky. I got an autographed Warren Moon football helmet behind me. I've got, Whoa. Uh, I've got some Cougar helmets behind me. Um, so I can, you know, I, I, I'm a Fairweather fan. But does it hurt or is it some small consolation that he went to Alabama? 
better Alabama than uh, other places. You know, it's Alabama is no one we ever consider. And, uh, you know, the Crimson Tide, uh, you know, a huge, you know, is, is there a more renowned football program in the U.S.? Probably not. Uh, yeah, they're certainly uh, iconic. It, I mean, you know. It, yeah. You know, the part that just creeps me out of this and the kind of, you know, dissolution of the Pac-12 is just that college football at least had the appearance of some sort of purity. And now uh, it just feels like it's all about money. It's just, it's triple A football, right? It's just one step down from the NFL. And it seems like it's all about the money. I mean, the amount of money Kalen DeBoer is going to get as a head coach coach is just, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it says a weird, creepy thing about our national uh, values that, you know, future archeologists are going to look back and, and, you know, think it's bizarre how much we pay these uh, guys who play games, but I still, Absolutely. I still watch and I'm a, yeah. I'm a huge baseball fan and uh, you know, same issues there, but I, but I love following baseball. So. Cool. Well, we could, we could go down the, the whole, I've got behind, over off my left. I've got original box seats from Cheney stadium uh, that, oh, were nice. brought up, uh, that came from seal stadium in San Francisco when, when Ben Cheney built, built the ballpark in 60. I've got Tacoma Giants jerseys. I've got Tacoma Giants hats. I have autographed team balls from the 60s. Wow. Um, my first baseball memory is my grandfather yelling at me to pay attention. I was going to get hit in the head with a foul ball at a, at a, at a Twins game, Tacoma Twins game. And, you know, it's, yeah, anyway. So I, we, could, we, could, we could not even talk about your books. We could just talk to Tacoma happy, Sports I, and we kind of have, yeah. have a good time. Scott, I'd be so, happy to do that. Yeah, that'd be kind of, we'll, we'll do that again. But All right. so. Last, you know, the last piece here about the, the UW, though. So you went and you were in creative writing. Mm -hmm. And you're a fiction author, but you have a day job. So what did the creative writing program prepare you for? Yeah, I had so many friends who were like, so you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be working at Starbucks or you're going to be saying, you know, would you like fries with that after I graduated with my English degree? And I definitely took me a few years to sort of earn my way, but I've made my living as a writer my entire adult life in one form or another. You know, my, I pay the bills doing marketing, writing. Mm -hmm. I work, uh, I oversee um, brand and thought leadership for an investment company in the Seattle area. And um, the skill set's the same. You're still telling stories. You know, if you're telling a story about, you know, your exposure to, you know, uh, small cap equities, or you're telling a story about a girl in a, you know, who moves into a, a guild hall of metal workers, the same principles apply. You're still trying to capture them in the first, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're trying to set up a great story and you're trying to pay it off. Gotcha. So All I right. love, I love working in the skill set. I love just kind of soaking in that. that. That's awesome that you've been able to, you know, uh, follow your passion that way. You went, so once again, you kind of grew up the federal way or you went up to Seattle for college. Why'd you move to Tacoma? I mean, most of us, I mean, I grew up in Tacoma. I couldn't wait. I could not wait to leave. I moved back because my son came to live with me. Mm -hmm. lived, at that time, I lived up in the stadium district. I had a great time in Tacoma as an adult. I did not enjoy living in Tacoma in the 60s and 70s. Um, I'm a little older than you, so you know, you get that. But you chose to move. You went to school in Seattle. What made you come back? Because you've been in Tacoma, what, over about 25 years or so, right? 
Yeah, close to 30. Um, okay, close to 30. Actually, you know. it's slightly over 30. Um, okay. On, well, if I'm completely honest, the reason I moved to Tacoma was cheap housing. Uh, we were, my wife and I were looking for a place to live and we're like anywhere but Tacoma. And our realtor was like, you are broke. You don't have enough money to live anywhere else. You should just go look at a house in Tacoma. And at the time, housing in Tacoma uh, was so affordable. It is definitely not anymore. Right. Well, but um, yeah. Well, compared to the national average, it's it's significantly higher, and it's. I mean, you you know, starter house in Tacoma is about five hundred grand now, That's which insane. is just kind of unbelievable, right? And um, but it as soon as we moved in, it just clicked with with us. You know, I kind of uh, have always had a bit of a chip on my shoulder, kind of a guy. Okay. I like, I, I'm, I just have sort of a gritty working, you know, I come from kind of a working class family and it was such a good fit for me. It's really, uh, I'm an artsy guy too. So the arts community here is so easy to get involved with. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that I always say is the big gift of Tacoma is that it needs you. It needs people to love it. And I think if people are really honest of what they want in life is it's to be needed. Uh, I think that's that that purpose thing is what really feeds most of us and to have a city that needs you. I think it's it really is. It's a gift. Okay. We're going to weave Tacoma in and out because your books also are set. They, they take place in Tacoma. Yeah, for that but, same reason. But yeah, we can talk about that as you see fit. So, so I was exposed to you because I don't know how I saw it on Facebook. I don't know. Are, I don't know if your publisher is running ads. I don't know if you were running an ad. We, we are not connected on Facebook. And I see this this cover for the Five Impossible Tasks of Eden Smith, and it caught my eye. I was like, "That's a cool cover. That's cool." Wait, this guy's in Tacoma. What? I had no idea about that. This was. I believe it's your fifth book, correct? Correct. Okay. So, and your books are taking. You're, you're setting them in Tacoma. That's. I, I'm intrigued by that. We're out talking about Washington State, but Tacoma gets a lot of our attention too. Can you walk me through? I have this romanticized version of authors that they, you know, they sit in a coffee shop or they they mm -hmm. sit in a, a dark, not dark room, but a quiet quiet space, and they 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 tap away on their keyboard or maybe you're writing it out longhand. But what's your What's the technical process that you work through when you're, after you've already, and we're going to come back to, I want to talk about how you get your ideas, but I want to talk about how do you put quote unquote words on paper? Yeah. My words are always on screen. Uh, I don't, I barely know how to write longhand. Honestly, if I have to write more than 10 words, I will type it and print it out. I, it, I just, it, it, my fingers don't connect to my brain unless they're on a keyboard. If we ever move into a post keyboard world, it, that would terrify me. I my problem is I can write, but I can't read what I write. I mean, it's just it's so bad. I can read, but it's my writing is so atrocious that I have to type. So you yeah. you you type everything. I type everything you, and and you, uh, do you work from a, a studio? Do you work wherever you are? What's your work? I work wherever I am. Absolutely. It's wherever I am. I have a home office that I didn't have until COVID started. And then I took over a room because I was working uh, from home full time there for a couple of years. Um, so I write in here, but um, most of my writing happens wherever I can jam it in. 
Um, I'm more productive when I'm busy. I don't know why. If I, like if I'm on vacation, I hardly write anything. Um, I write better if I'm trying to cram it around the edges. So um, honestly, my most productive writing space over the last 15 years has been on the 590, which is the Sound Transit Express bus between Tacoma and Seattle. And uh, it's a great place to write for me. It's, it's total downtime and it has uh, enough activity on it. Um, I, I like coffee shops too. I have a, um, a friend who's a, who's a poet and he likes to write at coffee shops. His name is uh, Timothy McNeely. And uh, he says that it has just an act enough activity for my brain to push against. Okay. And I love that. I love that kind of description. It's it's just right for me. So if I'm on a bus or in a coffee shop, there's there's just enough kind of buzz and hum to keep me uh, from to keep my mind from straying. And uh, but I'll write, you know, sitting on the couch, I'll I can edit, you know, just kind of whenever if I'm writing a, a rough draft or something that really needs a lot of attention. Um, I need a kind of a decent chunk of time, at least, a, you know, an, an hour of kind of un uninterrupted time. And the bus is about an hour each way. So it, it works really well for me. I, I've kind of come to love the, uh, the the 590. I feel like I should do an ad for Soundtrance and say, you know, yeah, here's the four books I've written while commuting. So you've written four of your books were done literally while commuting? I don't know if it's that many exactly, but it's been a lot. Yeah, it's been it's a lot. Been, so, you, yeah. so the can, is it safe to say the bulk of your work has been done on Sound Transit? I think that's probably safe to say. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Well, I'm gonna crazy, put you on yeah. the spot. This is a question I normally ask later in the conversation, but we're gonna we're gonna get this one going first. So you mentioned coffee shops because I kind of led you into it because that's kind of my thing. I need to know, in your opinion, where's a great coffee shop in Tacoma? Uh, Bluebeard is my go-to coffee shop. I, it's on the corner of Sixth Avenue and State Street. Yep, right next um, to Jason Lee Middle School. Yeah, which is now called Hilltop Heritage. But um, who is it? Okay. Yeah, they changed the name. You know, part of this changing the name. Jason Lee was apparently not a good guy. Ah, uh, yeah, that would make sense. Okay. Yep. So, so anyway, right but yeah, yeah, Bluebeard. Uh, they, they, you know, they they roast their own coffee right there it's just got a really good vibe it's a big funky space uh, mm -hmm. you can you know you can get a seat somewhere and so what's your go-to coffee drink uh it's either just a shot of espresso and a and a glass of soda water or just black black drip coffee so simple a purist if you will Love yeah it. i the older i get the more i like espresso is sort of the sipping whiskey of coffee you know it's strong and mm -hmm. so i like that Awesome. All right. The, the, the five impossible tasks of Eden Smith takes place in Tacoma. Where did you get the inspiration for the book? Um, I think I got it from a lot of places, but, uh, the, the original idea was, uh, I can't remember who I was in a conversation with, but it was this idea of, if you think about, so the book is set in what is, for all intents and purposes, an old folks home for metal workers. Um, and I was having a conversation with someone about, uh, you know, these, these great children's books um, or young adult books of, or even adult books of like, you know, you think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Harry, the Harry Potter series, or even Lord of the Rings or Narnia. 
that these books that have this world that's so desirable that you almost love the world more than you love the individual stories and you want to return to the chocolate factory or middle earth or hogwarts and and it was just this idea of sort of a challenge for my own brain of like what if you what if you set the book in a place where kids really don't have any desire to go like a, an old folks home or a nursing home okay. and um so that was this idea and um and then of course it morphed from that it's like okay how do you take this old folks home and turn it into and you know still into a magical place where and so it ends up that the reader does hopefully want to go there because it's full of uh you know this mastery of the metal craft that verges on the magical the magical and these uh elderly characters that end up being you know instead of being boring really colorful and the building itself is this very much a world within itself that was the original inspiration and i struggled with that for quite a while and frankly really struggled to to get it moving and then realized that if this was if this book was full of uh old people i could fill it with my own old people and so i changed all the characters from these sort of generic uh people right out of my imagination into actually giving them the names and personalities of my own uh late relatives relatives of mine who i loved who are no longer with us so my great aunties and uncles and and aunts and uncles and realized that as, as soon as i did that it was this realization of like oh whenever i'm working on this book i kind of get to have this delightful family reunion and i get to have it on my own terms right i can put their i can put words into their mouths and actions into their mouths so it's the sort of idealized family reunion and uh boy i just enjoyed i so much spending time with these folks so that was, yeah, that was sort of the, how it came about. That's very cool. So it's a work of fiction. I get that, but I'm, you know, Tacoma, I know Tacoma. And if I had to make you say, where would this place physically have been? What neighborhood would you have put it in? I mean, where, like. Oh, I can tell you exactly where it is. Okay. It's, where? it's on uh, North 10th and North I street, uh, which is the old rust mansion if you oh, remember the rust mansion yeah. and it's it, it's it's that that's the address and i just drove past the rust mansion going to oh, look at this giant place with these this huge round porch that kind of circles the building and these big yeah. big columns and so it definitely drifted from there this building is much bigger than that and it also has yeah, many yeah. many many uh you know underground stories to it but uh that's the address so where i was thinking the the building that I kind of assigned to it was the Document Museum by Wright Park. Sure, yeah, that would have been a good place. Too. I don't that's know why, good, but yeah. that's kind of where my brain went. It'd be the place like that. Yeah, but the rest that's of it makes perfect sense. All right. Yeah, no, that's a good location. I love that museum, but I, I think it's closing. Yeah, it's kind of a, what? I, I believe I heard that it's uh, that, and, and I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head, and I can't, but. Yeah, I believe it is closing. I Yeah, I knew they had more than one location. I think they had a location like in Tennessee or something like that. So maybe they're consolidating. Interesting. I didn't even know all my years of living there, you know, the first 18 years of my life living there. I had no idea what that thing was. It was when I moved back. Uh, somebody Car that I worked the with Carpellus said, hey, Manuscript there? Museum. Carpellus yeah. Manuscript Museum. Yeah. 
yeah, what is that place? You know, and, yeah. and I went in there and it was, it was a very cool experience. It was, it was, it's yeah. a, to me, it's an under, under appreciated asset, the Tacoma house. All right. So the five impossible tasks, how did you go? Why five? Not, why not? Why not four? Why not seven? What, was it because you ran out of, of, of crazy things for her to do? Or I'm kidding, but you know, what, what was kind of the process there to lead you to these? And, and are they related to memories yeah, of the, family in some way? They're, they're not, but the impossible okay. tasks come from the 12 labors of Hercules. In fact, if there, each one is, is uh, in my mind, at least clearly associated with one of the labors of Hercules. There's the first task in the book is this, um, Eden has to uh, do the dishes, which sounds like an incredibly menial task. But in this guild hall, uh, she has to do them all in a day. And there's this room called dishes where there's uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dirty dishes stacked up that she has to wash in a day. And she ends up doing it in a very creative way. So it's sort of like the, the, uh, the stables in the uh, 12 tasks of Hercules uh, that Hercules ends up washing in a sort of creative way. And uh, she has another task where she's battling these deadly birds. And that task is also right out of the 12 labors of Hercules. And they sort of go on that way. Um, and the reason there's five, I think, is just because that seemed about like the right amount to fit into a book uh, that's, you know, about the right size. There's nothing more more compelling or creative than that. If, if you were to be tasked with one of those five tasks, what would you, which one would you want to do? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I'm as, as creative or smart as uh, the character Eden is in the book, but um, yeah, the, the dishes one seems like the least deadly, the one that's least likely to kill me. The tasks in the book have, uh, the, the book starts off with a sort of, um, a genealogy of uh, Eden's ancestors, and and it basically tells the story of how they've all died trying to complete these tasks. So, I think if I was really smart, I'd try to avoid yeah. them altogether. Well, I understand, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Which which one to you sounds the yeah, most think... like you? Like like okay, I'm going to take the risk. What am I going to do? Yeah, I think I'd probably try to figure out the uh, dishes. Um, just because I think it'd be the one less, less least likely to kill me. Um, right. Okay. Also, yeah. Will there be a sequel? Is this, is she going to have more adventures? I hope so. Uh, that's actually um, not up to me. That's up to the publisher if they're, if they're willing to do this. And it's, and it's frankly determined by how well this fir first book sells. And mm -hmm. if you ask me how well the first book is selling, I, I have no idea. It's uh, publishing, uh, from an author's point of view, is very much a black hole. Apparently, the the selling process of wholesaling books and potentially buying them back from retailers means that getting numbers is something that happens, you know, over like half of a year, as opposed to, you know, we're used to having data at our fingertips anytime we want, but apparently the publishing and book selling process is too complex to make that happen. So I won't know how the book is selling for at least six months, and. Um, but I have mapped out sort of a, a, you know, in my mind, I have an idea of, of, of definitely turning this into a, a series. 
I mm-hmm. set up a number of things in this book that that would definitely feed into a series. So I have a lot of ideas in that sense. Working with a publisher, do you as the author have any input as to where you're going to ask for the book to be placed? Like, for example, you just, we were supposed to record this last week. We had some illness here in the house, but on Wednesday of last week, um, you, you did a, a book a book thing at King's King's Books there in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Do you do you get to have any input and say hey, I'd like to have books? You know, if King's is willing to carry it because I'm a local guy, can can you can you help guide the placement? Or are you are they the are they the marketing experts? I think they're the marketing experts, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're happy to send books wherever uh, I can help sell them. So, and I'm mm-hmm. sure I sell more books in Tacoma, probably primarily because of, as you mentioned, of my association with beautiful angle, which has a very strong fan base, which I'm not above exploiting, or I, I like to use the word leveraging, um, cause it sounds better, but you know, totally trying to exploit that for however I can. So I tend to, to do really well in Tacoma just because, again, because Tacoma is such a great supportive community and they love mm-hmm. to support their own folks. Um, outside of Tacoma, the publisher is, is much more likely to send me places. Uh, on my last book, I did a mini kind of book tour just right around the kind of I-5 corridor, you know, Seattle to Everett sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I have a, I know I have a book signing in uh, Redmond coming up in a couple months. I'm doing a my first con, Norwest Con, which is a kind of fantasy and sci-fi book convention uh, coming up uh, this this first quarter of the year as well. Um, and uh, you know, more and more these days, the promotion of books happens in a virtual space on things like this podcast or uh, via mm-hmm. blogs and, and you know via influencers on social and those sorts of things. I'm gonna drop a name. I, I, I see that they do. So on Explore Washington State, we have an events calendar across the entire state. So we we try to uh, promote events. So you know, if you're into comedy, you're looking for something to do, you can go to our website, look for it across the entire state. It's, a per, it's pretty darn ambitious to try to think we can do that. But th- have you ever heard of Village Books and Paper in Bellingham? I haven't off the top of my head, but I might have been there. I do love, I do love, I have been there. This is the one that's, um, is this the one that's in the Fairhaven uh, neighborhood? They have two, yeah, they have two, two locations, correct. Yeah. They have a lot and I mean a lot of author conversations. They, they're bringing authors in multiple times a week. So they've nice. got an audience that's kind of primed to expect an author to show up. Bellingham's not too far to drive. I would totally drive to Bellingham. What so, a great town. Yeah, no, Bellingham's awesome. So you maybe add that to your, your list of, of possible places to, to go and um, – talk and, and they, I've seen uh, I've seen events there with with children's books authors so it's I I'm recommending it because I've never been there but I'm recommending it because of the number of author events that they have there's that seems to be like a focus of theirs nice so they must have a good mechanism in place to uh, promote the events well I'm a huge fan of the ind- independent bookstores and you know uh 
surprisingly, they just kind of seem to keep rolling. And I, I love that, that I, I think it's, I don't know if it's truer in the Pacific Northwest. I know we are the most uh, readingest uh, part of the country. Right. So um, I love that. And, uh, you know, these bookstores, like King's Books in Tacoma, just is is a great place. We have a new high voltage books on Sixth Avenue that is, you know, seems to be doing really well. And like seeing a new bookstore open is just like, ah, oh, how cool is that? No, it's very, very, it's almost as exciting as a new vinyl record store. Yeah, uh. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm going to, I think I warned you that my, my shows always bounce around a lot. So we're going to look, I'm not even going to push the clutch and I'm just going to shift gears. I was listening to an interview you did earlier about your childhood and you had a very conservative mother, but she would let you read whatever you wanted to read. So was, mm -hmm. at a young age, you were reading Stephen King and all this. You, you mentioned Mad Magazine, which you know, we're going to get along just great if you were reading Mad Magazine. And I didn't listen to all the episodes, so maybe you've already discussed this, but something that was brought up was liner notes, album liner notes, that you were mm. reading those. As a kid, what were you listening to? I I mean, I was, an, I, I was the youngest of five, so I had three older brothers who were quite into music. My brother, Dan, who now lives back on the East Coast, um, but he was a big influence on my musical taste. Which, and his verged to, or leaned towards uh, classic rock. We now call it classic yeah. rock. Back then you just called it rock. And right. uh, so I still listen to the same stuff too. I just was listening to Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. And I've probably listened to that album th four times this week. I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Uh, still consider them the greatest rock band ever. I listen to them all the time. In fact, they have a great new biography out just called Led Zeppelin. It's probably a year or two old now, but um, some shocking stuff, but I loved, yeah. And I loved to read all those, you know, those liner notes. So again, uh, uh, any, anything in that era, cream and, uh, you know, Blind Faith and Traffic and all those sort of bands. And one of the things you love about them is like, especially reading the liner notes, like you would read Led Zeppelin. I mean, the the liner notes from Pink Floyd, then I'd go over to my cousin's house and you know, my cousin was listening to an Alan Parsons project thing. And I was like, Alan Parsons, I know I've heard that name somewhere. Oh, he was the engineer on Dark Side of the Moon because mm -hmm. I, w I was such a nerd about that stuff. And I had... I think I bought my first turntable when I was 12 years old with my paper route and lawn mowing money. Okay. And just, I spent so much time sitting in my bedroom, you know, turning records on the, on the turntable and just, yeah, reading everything, cover, you know, the front and back of the cover and whatever was on the, on the record sleeve inside. And I still do it. I mean, I still do it. I just recently got a new turntable and uh, still, I still buy records. Okay. Do you, you know, you're, you're of a certain age. Did, yep. Do you, re so I can remember when I got my first CD player, I was in college. Mm -hmm. I can remember I bought it in Yakima, went to budget records and tapes in Yakima, bought three CDs that day. I can still remember exactly what three CDs they are. Can you remember the first CDs you bought? I can't remember the first CDs I bought. I can remember the first vinyl I bought, which was uh, Boston's first album, which I don't really think has aged all that well. But um, 
And I remember the first cassette tape I bought was uh, Heavy Weather by Weather Report, which is still oh a great gosh. album. I just bought that on vinyl again recently. It's so it's still so good. Uh, Jaco Pastorius on bass on that and just tearing it up. And um, I don't remember the first CDs, but I do. I, I was really resistant to CDs mm -hmm. because... I had all my friends were had moved on to CD players and I was clinging to vinyl and going, no, vinyl is better. And then I, how frustrated I was to hear somebody play CDs and I was hearing things that I'd never heard on vinyl because you get right. more, you get more of the information, but you know, less of the warmth, like I think is sort Absolutely. of the idea. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. very, they're very clinical, which is why I think vinyls were going back to vinyl. So I will tell you the first three CDs I bought because this kind of, it will give you a snapshot into into my my brain yeah let's uh, hear it uh donald fagan's the nightfly it's great that's great i love steely dan i'm a huge steely dan yeah. fan one of my favorite i mean yeah right there um seen him multiple times a lot, lot of really a lot of fun um pink floyd dark side of the moon mm -hmm. and prince's purple ring <laughs> I'm a huge Prince fan. Uh, I know, 19, but those are the three. Those are the three CDs I bring home with me to to break yeah, in the inaugural CD player. That's a good mix. 1999, and, I think, is a top ten album of all time for me. So by by Prince. Okay. All right. I. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. I, that was high school for me. Um. I still listen to all three of those. Um, I think the Nightfly for me probably edges out dark side of the moon okay but that's cool but that's like saying you know i tacos or pizza i mean you can't go wrong with either yeah um, yeah you know so anyway okay so tacoma tacoma's music scene who were you a fan of who are you a fan of in the tacoma music scene well tacoma i think if you think of tacoma correctly tacoma is really designed as as an incubator city right uh, and, and I think, and I think we were comfortable with that idea. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of Northwest music history and, um, in our beautiful angle, uh, project, we did a, um, history of, 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 Nor of Tacoma music poster. Mm -hmm. So I know some of this stuff. So like Nirvana first played, I'm a huge Nirvana fan. I love, okay. I mean, just what a great band in, I mean, one of the greatest rock bands ever. And, and, you know, I'm not sure there's a greater Northwest band and they first played under the name Nirvana in Tacoma. Uh, Chris oh. Novoselic had a house in Tacoma when Dave Grohl joined the band. They first met in his backyard at a barbecue um, their main place to play was called, I can go on on this for a while, Scott, it's That's called okay. world, uh, community world or uh, community world theater, which is now, uh, off a, of 56th uh, street. Yeah. Now it's a church, but, um, yeah, that my, in fact, in fact, when they, great, my grandfather's sister owned that place as a movie theater in the thirties and forties. Wow. Is that yeah. right? That's yeah, crazy. That way back in the day. My, my so, grandfather so your great was aunt. a, yeah yeah wow yeah so my yeah, grandparents the, the, the crazy my grandparents had a house is, right on 56th street you could see that theater from my grandparents front yard that's so weird yeah. when the when nirvana first played there under the name nirvana the person taking tickets at the door was nico case really which is just a just a crazy sort of interconnection of you know events my oh, favorite okay. weird fact that most people don't know is that 
uh, Loretta Lynn's first like uh, broadcast uh, performance was from Tacoma. Um, Buck Owens of Buck Owens and the Buckaroo and the Bakersfield Sound and Hee Haw and all that sort of stuff was a, was uh, living in Tacoma at the time. And uh, he was he did a uh, radio program on a local radio station and he did a talent show at a, at a restaurant on South Tacoma Way called Steve's Gay 90s. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, and one of his uh, sort of discoveries was this uh, young woman who had moved up here with her husband. I think she was actually living in Bellingham at the time or somewhere up north. But she was coming down here to be on the Buck Owens's various programs and shows. And her name was Loretta Lynn. You know, it's like it's a pretty oh. good claim to fame. So and you thought we were only going to talk about your book. I know. I, lo- I I could talk about this stuff. This stuff's fascinating to me. Are you currently in any process of, of another book that you're working on? Oh yeah, all the time. Okay. How many how many how many I'll call them projects. How many projects do you work on simultaneously? Just one or are you are you scribbling notes down or typing notes because you don't write? But uh, you, you, you jotting notes on the computer down for multiple projects or how's your brain um, work? Yeah, messily. Um, I'm constantly <laughs> jotting notes down. I have big f- file folders full of just things called book ideas. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I'm currently working on, I, I just sent a completed notes on a manuscript on a book called Black String to my agent, which actually is a book that came out was published in a earlier form only in um, Germany and the Netherlands, but we've never sold it in the United States. Wow. So we've done some rewrites and we're trying, she's, she's supposed to come back to me with some edits and we're going to pitch that again. And it's, it's a book that is sort of based on string theory and the, the um, myth of um, Theseus who goes into the, you know, the maze fights the Minotaur in Greek mythology um, he, you know, he finds his way through the maze with a ball of string and, um, or finds his way out of the maze by following the wow. ball of string. So, um, I really like this story. I hope something happens with it. And then I'm working on another book that's, um, actually set in my mind where Hilltop Heritage Middle School is, but the, in the book, the middle school is built on a, um, a cemetery where they were not allowed to remove any of the graves or the headstones. So there's headstones and 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 maus, you know mausoleums popping up through all the the floorboards and on the soccer field and things like that. The working title is the Edna J. Krebs Memorial Cemetery and Middle School. So um, those are the two that I'm actively working on, and then uh, I, I have a bunch of like half finished things that I tend I tend to come back to things like I'll get mm-hmm. it a certain level, then my mind shifts onto something else. But then I usually come back around and try to finish something. Each project's different. I get that. But what's the approximate, like, let's just use, let's use the, the, the five impossible tasks of Eden Smith. How long did that take you from starting to actually work on it? Not just the idea, because the idea may have been sitting in, in the shelf on your mind for months and years. But when you started like putting fingers to keyboard to the book being completed, as far as your role, how long is that process? 
for that book? I can get pretty specific on that one because I went back and looked at my, you know, my file folder on my on my Mac, and um, the earliest uh, kind of serious beginning on it was um, late 2017, early 2018. So if we okay. just call it January of 2018. And I finished edits on it in fall of 2023. So uh, almost six years. That's a long time. Um, it's a long time. And and probably five of those years is the editing process. I had a I okay. had a good a good rough draft. I think we had a, a contract on the book um, three years before publication. And okay. then it was three additional years of editing and rewrites between then and the time it came out. As as the creator whose words are being edited, is that easy for you to watch somebody else make a change, or do you do you are there times when you're like fighting them, going no 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 that has to stay you're you're changing the the message too much or how's that for you as a creative? Yeah, the way it works is they don't actually, they rarely change anything on their own, but they'll say, you know, I think you, sh you should change this. And they let me actually do it. But but they get very strongly opinionated on you need to change this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I used to be resistant to it. Um, I'm lucky enough to, my two primary editors is my agent, uh, the esteemed Abigail Samoon from um, Red Fox Literary, who's been my agent for forever. And, um, and then Kelly Lohman at Holiday House, who is the publisher of this book. And they're both just just seasoned, just brilliant editors. And they're just, they're annoyingly right. You know, you're just like, and and the thing that's, it's, it's or people who are young authors or haven't been through this before find it incredibly shocking of like, they'll make these requests of like, I think you should, I don't think this chapter works. I think you should get rid of this chapter. And, and you're thinking if I get rid of this chapter, it's going to change these four chapters before and 20 chapters after it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. Take six months and work on that. And you're like six months. I want to be done with this thing, you know, right. and, but they're right. They're just consistently right. They have a, this is what they do for a living and they just have a really good ear for what works and what doesn't. And, um, I honestly, my, I, I used to loathe the editing process and now I've, I've totally turned that corner and I love it. And okay. I, I mean, that's what writing is. It's ed real writing is editing. It's that polish and, and the ability, the thing I like about it is uh, when you write the first draft, it happens, for me at least, it happens in a very linear process, right? You kind of go from start to finish. And then when you're editing, you sort of become like a god and you can step out of linear time and space and move wherever you want. The characters are still stuck in their linear, linear story, but you're kind of dipping in and out. And okay. uh so it changes the way you read too. So if I read another book, like somebody will read Harry Potter or something and go, oh, I can't believe Voldemort, this thing with Voldemort happens here in book three, but they set it up in book one. And you're like, that was just editing. That's all fake. It's all just, you know, it's like foreshadowing. If you think an author is great at foreshadowing, it's, 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 like, a, it's like a kind of a cheap magic trick. You know, it seems 
it seems brilliance and and seamless to the to the reader but for the writer it was this you know it took him a year to go through and figure it out but you know it's, it's so easy to go back and add something on page three that looks like it's now you know magically paid off on page 350 but okay. you know you open up the word document and stick it in there it's just there's nothing to right. it that's interesting. So let me ask you this. Does does working with the editors on your fiction work, has that, in your opinion, paid pr positive dividends in, in your professional writing? Are you more open to the editing now for on, on the, on the corporate side, if you will? I, get, I think I would honestly say that it's happened the other way around, that I was open to the editing process because I was already, before I published my first book, I was probably 15 years into business writing. Okay. And if, okay. if you've ever done any sort of like, I was an ad copywriter, I was a, I was a trade journalist for a while and, you know, a marketing writer. And you're just used to having brutal clients, whether it's somebody in your own company or somebody at another company just saying, oh, I don't like this. This isn't working at all, you know, mm. and you never and maybe get not knowing why, not maybe necessarily not. being correct either. Yeah. But you just realize, oh, they're the ones signing my paycheck. They get to say whatever they want. And you right, develop right. this okay. really thick skin. So I think it actually it was a huge it was a huge bonus for me as a, as an author. And I think my, my editors and agents were delighted to say, oh, this is somebody who, who doesn't get their feelings hurt when I tell them to change something. So I, I was so used to it by then. Okay. Well, to respect your time and we could go on and on because we could, we could be going back to talk music or sports or Tacoma in general. So I got, I got a couple of things I want to make sure we touch on. Um, <clears throat> you, your bio talks about you grew up in a house with frozen toilets. I did indeed. That's a pretty interesting visual. <laughs> now, you also state that you grew up in a waterfront home. Right? That's right. Okay. Back and you make and let's 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 set the stage here. Back in the day, waterfront in Puget Sound wasn't all that desirable. It wasn't like we might think about it today. Like, ooh, waterfront. Hard um, to imagine, isn't it? I know. It's very hard. But you grew up in that. But I, I actually, there's there's a connection here that I need you to explain to me. Is that what went wrong so that you are actually doing like polar plunges into Puget Sound? <laughs> I saw a picture of you on Facebook with a friend of yours. And all I could think of is what's wrong with this guy? I'm, I'm teasing, but yeah, really, what's in, wrong I, with you? I, I go in uh, the sound uh, early in the morning too. It's uh, it's usually <sighs> right around sunrise or even before or right after, depending on the time of the year, about three days a week with my friend Todd Ganey. And um, we both grew up on the water way back in the day. We grew up, I mean, both of us grew up in the 70s and, and early 80s, I guess. And um it just, I just think that salt water gets in your blood. And my favorite thing about going in three days a week is just that I'm in the water. And I, I grew up as a kid, you know, swimming only in the summertime, but swimming in this cold water and it just never bothered me. Um, and there's all sorts of sort of pseudo science saying all these kind of health benefits of this, this activity. I don't really buy into any of that stuff. 
I just do okay. it because I like it. And people say, oh, it's supposed to be good for your, it's supposed to increase your metabolism or help with your mitochondrial health or some BS <laughs> like that. And um, I'm like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I like so doing it. I have, a, I have a friend that lives in Tacoma who did, who is, has a cold plunge tank at his house now. And he's, he's going in over like near Owens beach. Mm -hmm. And, and I haven't talked to him this it, early this year to like ask him what, what the heck is wrong with him. But where, where do you guys go? Where do you, where do you do your, your, we go, at? I mean, it's, it's the same stretch of water that Owen beach is on. It's it, but we're down um, in closer to the old town neighborhood, which uh, the, we go in at Jack Hyde park. Okay. Which if you're into comments, if you, if you're facing the water, it's to the, it's between the Chinese reconciliation park and the Northern fish company. It's just a little stretch okay. of nice beach there. So and there's a lot of a lot of people you, who are who go in right there. And how long are you staying in? Ten to fifteen minutes usually. Um, we went in. Really? Yeah, we went in on uh, January. I guess what was it? January eighth or something like that, which was like the coldest day in the last thirty years or whatever. And it was about sixteen degrees out, and we were only in about four minutes, and it was. Honestly, the water was so cold that day. You didn't even feel it as a temperature. You felt it as it like it literally was like stepping into pain. It was so cold. It was just unbelievable how cold it was. So that I what I didn't I didn't for being consistent. Yeah, that's that was really the only reason for it. All right. I'm going to get to Tacoma around lunchtime. Where's a place in Tacoma I should grab lunch these days? Uh, I think you should just you should go to the Red Hot on Sixth Ave, mm. and uh, you should grab a get a hot dog there. Um, and they have a great beer selection. If you're a beer drinker, they have the best tap list in Tacoma. You can see some oh. of our beautiful beautiful angle posters there. It's the only place my wife and I go to often enough where they actually say our names when we go in. So it's a place that likes its regulars. So okay. that would be my recommendation. Okay. That, that's, that's solid. That's solid. Um, when you're not working and when you're not writing and when you're not cold plunging, what do you like to do? What do you and the family, what do you guys do? What's fun for you? Um, my family and I, I mean, my, my wife and I like to go to movies. We love to eat out in Tacoma. Uh, we hang, we have a, Tacoma just has a great community. So we like to hang out with friends. Um, I, I'm a musician too. I love to play guitar with friends and um, I'm probably driving my wife crazy um, most evenings, just sitting in our dining room playing my acoustic guitar. And she's like, I love that you're playing honey, but could you play something else? You're starting to drive me nuts. Cause I'll just play the same. Are you playing riff. originals or are you, are you doing covers? I'm just kind of mostly just noodling, but yeah, I like to learn songs and the, the, the internet makes that so okay. much easier. I love the YouTube guitar lessons on, you know, how to, you know, how to play landslide by Fleetwood Mac. And you're like, oh, I've heard this song, you know, 10,000 times. And you're like, yes, that's, that's actually really easy to play. You know, these sort of weird realizations. Such a, such a song that's so being covered by everybody these days. It's kind of, yeah, exactly. it's kind of bubbled back. Um, if you were going to go out and see live music in Tacoma, where's, where's a venue you're like in these days? Well, I'm an old guy, so, uh, 
I don't like to stay up late. I mean, I love to see live shows and, but if you go to like a great Seattle club or something and the, you know, it says the doors open at eight 30, that means that the headliner that you're there to see doesn't come on until 10 30 or 11. Right. I just can't do it. So yeah. we've been blessed with uh, McMinimins uh, in Tacoma at the old Elks lodge. And it's yeah. a beautiful site and they have a, a, a space there called the Spanish ballroom. And the shows mm -hmm. usually start promptly at 8 PM. Isn't and, that nice? Uh, oh, it's so nice, man. Oh, my gosh. It's just the greatest. And you look around, and there's a bunch of old hairs, you know, and folks were, uh, you know, folks my age. And yeah, I don't no, mind I, that. I get it. I like it. Yeah. I, uh, the last show, my wife and I love to go see live music. And the last show we saw uh, was over at Slim's Last Chance in Seattle. Okay. And um, it was, I was up past my bedtime. Um and we, you know, cause we, we, when we come over to the West side to see live music, we're, we're staying in a hotel, you know, we're not, we're not going over. I used to go, I used to drive a lot. I could go, Oh, I'll just go home. You know, no, we don't do that. But, uh, Slim's, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was, I was feeling old. Feeling yeah, like man, really, really old. That's, that's too hard. <laughs> but I a like, great, my favorite band like, that I've seen in the last couple of years live. And I, frankly, I, I don't know if they work not live. It's called Polyrhythmics and they're like a funk jazz band. Yeah. I've and it's only, only instrumental, which is not something I would necessarily go out of my way, but uh, they have another show coming up in March at the Spanish ballroom in Tacoma. And um, they just fill the place standing room only and as okay. soon as the first song starts, the whole crowd is just bouncing up and down. It's just the most, you cannot uh, sit still when you're listening to this music. It's so good. I, yeah. I, and the Spanish ballroom is wonderful space. All right. So I got a question. I got one last interview question. This is the most important question I ask all my guests. You ready? I'm ready. Let's hear it. You have to answer it. Cake or pie and why I, i'm so much a pie guy and not a cake guy i don't really even like cake very much um i don't understand the appeal to it I, i'm always confused when they have like oh we're, it's somebody's birthday let's buy them a cake like, why cake whoever decided that cake was the right thing pie is so much better it's like if you know cake is like all the bready part and this little bit of filling and pie is all the filling part with a little bit of bread. And I, I okay. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fruit pie guy, like blackberry, cherry, apple pie. My wife's a, also happens to be a really good pie maker and, you know, okay. she makes great crust and she, she loves, she's also a, a obsessive blackberry picker. She makes her own blackberry jelly. And um, so I always get at least, you know, three or four amazing blackberry pies here. All right. There's what's what's interesting. I, I stole this question from another. It's good. Yeah, it's it, it's cool. And some people get really like like I've asked them to pick which is their favorite child or which <laughs> arm they're going to cut off. I mean, and other people are more like yeah. you who just very adamant about you know cake or pie. And what's if if you tally it up, who's winning, well, cake or pie? I, so one of the things I need to do is go back. And one of the things I want to do is like this, we've done almost 300 episodes now and we haven't always asked this question, but we've asked this question for a good 150 episodes. I need to go back. My gut is telling me that pie is in the lead. That's My good. That gives, that, that, gives me, me, that gives me hope for the future. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I could help. Uh, no, it, it's pie is I, and honestly, it, my gut is telling me that pie is substantially in the lead. Like, but that could be just selective memory on my part. Yet, if you go to a birthday party, it's always cake. If you go to a wedding, it's cake. My friend Ed, actually, when he got married, Ed, uh, uh, he was in my same way of thinking. And he, instead of having a wedding cake, they just had a selection of great pies. It was like, ah, this is so smart. I had so much okay. respect for that decision. Good job, Ed. There you go. Shout out to Ed. All right. So if people, so where can people find your books? Where can people find out more about you and what you do? And uh, where, where should we send them to? Sure. Uh, you can buy the book, uh, any of my books, uh, but especially this latest one, The Five Impossible Tasks of Eden Smith, published by Holiday House, anywhere books are sold. So you can, you can if, if your local indie bookstore doesn't own it or doesn't have it in stock, they can order it. Yeah, you can certainly buy it on Amazon, but, you know, support your local bookstore. Uh, you can find me on the socials. I'm at Tommy Lou at uh, T-O-M-M-Y-L-L-E-W on Twitter. Um, I think Tommy Lou is also my Instagram handle if you want to follow me there. And I have a blog, uh, just TommyLou.com if you want to follow me there. Awesome. Uh, anything that we didn't touch on today that you'd like to wrap this up with? I don't think so, Scott. I mean, I think you did a great job. And um, I, I I love this theme of exploring Washington State. And I love the way you're doing it through people and their uh, uh, individual experiences. So uh, thanks for what you're doing, man. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to be with me today, man. I really had a good time and I'm looking forward to having you back on. All right. Cool. Me too. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. I'm glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.